Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. Today we are here with Mr. Jonathan Karras of Nirvana Protocol. We're going to talk about their new product that is currently live deployed on Osmosis and Say Network with future plans to deploy on Neutron and Injective. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. It's uh, it's, it's nice to see you again um, since Paris, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, to those listening now, if you need a primer about options, perps, futures, puts and calls, all of that, we did a first episode with Jonathan. This is the second time he's been back, or he, second time he's been here. And uh, yeah, if you need a primer, just go ahead and watch the link that is linked here in the show notes. That must have been about a year ago now. Wow. Like, when when did we do that? Was that Maybe the maybe it was later September. That was fall of last year, so it was almost a year now. But uh, it's very. I'm I'm glad you guys have made such progress and have gained such traction since then. You know, you launched your you launched your product live, and now there's millions of dollars in TVL that's currently trading on your Perps protocol. And what's nice about it is that you get to trade the Atom and Osmo market and basically anything well, anything that's supported that's currently on Osmosis without having to do a bridge, you know, without having to you can bridge out through IBC. So you could just do it directly there on the Osmosis L1. Yeah, that was part of the idea is to just be at the least amount of steps uh, and be as close to the liquidity as possible. So that's why the the first deployment on Osmosis uh, was an obvious choice. It's uh, really just like the largest liquidity hub within um, the uh, within the Cosmos ecosystem, and it is um, you know we see that that partnering with a Dex um, m- allows, for especially the type of perpetual swap that we have, which is um, where we're called. There aren't really there aren't official names for a lot of this stuff. So we call it a notional perpetual swap. You know, a lot of perpetuals like uh, DYDX um, uh, use uh, stable coins um, as collateral and as part of uh, like an insurance fund. Um, we have a, a different approach, which is significantly more capital effective, uh, capital efficient, and uh, reduces a lot of the risks in uh, strong market movements. And one of the ways that we accomplish that is that there's no stable coins in the system. It's essentially if you wanted to go 10x long Bitcoin, you know, and you were depositing, let's say, just for s- simplicity's sake, you're depositing a Bitcoin, which in our case would be a Axelar wrapped Bitcoin, which is the the asset that is uh, canonical or currently canonical on Osmosis. Um, and then if you wanted 10x leverage, you'd essentially be borrowing another nine. Uh, Bitcoin so that you had exposure to 10 Bitcoin and um, it it has a lot of really interesting properties and so because you because it's all the actual assets it really doesn't matter how the price of Bitcoin moves uh, you're, you're, you will have certain guarantees of being able to withdraw profits um, without the need for uh, a large pool of capital kind of in the background um, sitting, you know, as a, as a, as a pool to draw from. Um, so I'm not sure how much of that analogy or, or explanation came across because I'm kind of just diving into into the weeds of what we do. But um, essentially, we've been able to with about our TVL is not in the millions yet. It's a we've been out for about six weeks on Osmosis. We officially launched on uh, July 16th of this year, uh, 2023. And we've got about, I, I believe, 1.3 or 1.4 million of TVL, which is relatively small. 
but were able to service um, a, you know a significantly larger portion of, of trade volume, especially given the the trading patterns of the Osmosis or just in general uh, Cosmos community. And to date, we've had about forty four million dollars of trading volume, you know, over these last five six weeks. Trading volume in terms of daily or weekly, monthly no, uh, in total. If we, you know, I can total. Oh uh, yeah, I'll pull up. Uh, you know, happy to. Um, you know, if we want to just get into the weeds, um, which I think can make sense, I can show you here. If you uh, let me know if you can see the screen. Yes, here we are. The front end. So if you if you want to see a, if you want to be able to just track a little bit as to what's happening with Lavana, so the stats page is the best place to do that. You can start with uh, you know the network and you can see um, how we are um, you know the, the different markets on Osmosis and say um, in the past twenty four hours we've had about two and a half million dollars of trading volume uh, and in total since um, you know uh, for the uh, roughly you know six weeks now. Um, just shy of forty-six million dollars of uh, trading volume, and that's been traded by um, almost uh, one thousand four hundred uh, different wallet addresses. Very nice. So you did allude to the fact that this mm, this Levana mechanism is more capital efficient than if you were to use stablecoins as collateral for for uh, perps. So that would make it a different type of mechanism compared to something like Gains Network. Can yes. you, yeah, can you talk about that? So, I mean, explain the trade-off space and why you think that your vision for this product um, makes sense this way. Because, you know, what happens if someone imagines that using stables for trading perps is actually a better product. So uh, one thing that I'll, I'll mention is that we can deploy um, with uh, with stable support, like the the, the math and the mechanisms um, do support it, uh, albeit with a, with a few modifications. So internally, we actually have a build um, that's uh, very similar to Gains Network, which you know, it's funny that you you mentioned that because we've we've never I don't think spoken about the comparison, but that's probably the closest um, you know to product in the market as to our our, our stable market. Um, and so I'd put it like this: uh, you know, there were a few problems that uh, we wanted to solve, and we actually we wrote a blog post really a year ago about this, and it came from some post trauma. You know, there was a uh, there was there was a popular Cosmos uh, uh, chain that we were. Um, that we were very active in, and it collapsed, um, and it had an algorithm stablecoin, and um, so from that kind of post trauma, you know, one of the things that uh, we decided was we started thinking, well, how could you make a perpetual swap that didn't need stablecoins that could use single sided deposits of assets, and um, so one of the things that that really separates us from a lot of the other uh, perps platforms that's out there is that. You, each one of these markets, uh, they're really just siloed. So the Atom market, the Bitcoin market, uh, Osmo market, and you know uh, the ETH market are the same market. Which you know, this is uh, our roster for, um, on Osmosis here. Um, these are all. Um, each one of these are single pools. So you would actually come into the Atom market and you would just uh, deposit. Um, and we can get into some of the you know the risks and what exactly you're doing when you're depositing. So there's a lot of uh, disclaimers and everything. And there's, you know, I highly recommend reading the fine print. Uh, we, we put a lot of effort into uh, documentation and, you know, getting into, you know, how position size collateral works. Um, also, if you want to just check out our audits, you want to view the source code yourself, you want to look at our robust APIs. Uh, oh, I, I apologize. I'm not sharing the right screen. Um, you know, so we've got all of this uh, information here. So highly recommend doing your homework. Um, there is no such thing as risk-free yield. Um, but to, to, to put that to the side for now, when you deposit, you only deposit one asset. So you don't have any impermanent loss. Um, you're not, you know, instantly selling for a basket of other goods. You know, we wanted to be able to open up 
bespoke markets that um, really could support any crypto asset. You know, Levama is an acronym for leverage any asset. And so the methodology that we've created is far more versatile, especially in supporting um, low or younger coins like altcoins. Uh, and one of the problems, as, as you can imagine, um, when you have a highly volatile asset is that uh, it's, it's relatively easy to um, uh, manipulate the market. You know, if you were to think, uh, if you were to take, for example, uh, there's many assets that are on Cosmos, which have, you know, uh, only uh, $100,000 $100, of, uh, of daily trading activity. Now, if an asset has $100,000 of daily trading activity, so then if you were to own two or $300,000 worth of that asset, um, or you were to, and you were to just sell it instantly, you would essentially just wipe out any AMM or any uh, order book, you know, assuming that the, that the depth was consistent with what we see with a lot of assets within Cosmos, uh, and you would cause a flash crash, which could, in many other perpetual swaps, um, cause uh, cascading liquidations. You would essentially wipe out uh, any of the all of the long positions. Um, well, and there's a there's an attack vector uh, where if you opened up a highly leveraged short and then you were to just wipe out the the uh, all of the longs, um, you could kind of rinse, wash, and repeat, and uh, um, you know, and profit. And then the inverse is true as well. That and it doesn't even need to be malicious. Like imagine if um, there is an asset that is uh, that's it's a younger asset and it is uh, and the the market is actually not collateralized by the notional asset but by a stable coin. Um, let's take for example Mars. Mars uh, is a great example of this. You know Mars um, has a uh, I I forget exactly what it is but it's you know it's it bounces I think between a fifty to a hundred million dollar. Uh, market cap. I apologize if it's higher. I haven't, I haven't looked at the markets uh, in a while, um, but uh, I remember that the trading volume is uh, relatively low. You know, in the uh, you know somewhere between fifty to one hundred thousand dollars a day. So in theory, if there was a perpetual market uh, that was backed by stablecoins that was following through a price oracle, uh, the Mars market, then if somebody, if let's say for example that there was a new version that was coming out because there is Mars V2 will be coming out soon. Um, and if everybody and their dog went long and then the price was to rise, then it, it would, they're actually the, the, the market would become insolvent because the way that perpetuals uh, work is that they, they need to be balanced between long and shorts. So if there is consensus within the market in, in a certain direction that, an asset is going to move, then everybody puts in a, a position in that direction. And then if everybody is right, then who actually pays out the the earnings? If it either has to come from some type of an insurance pool, which constantly needs to be incentivized, usually through um, through some type of uh, inflationary token economic, uh, you know, non-sustainable to token economic methodology, um, or you end up with just insolvency, which is what we saw about a year ago during the, you know, the, um, the, the, the three arrows crash. And then again, during the FTX crash that, um, when there was sudden legs down, uh, a lot of these perpetual swaps, um, anybody that was in a short position, uh, was owed more than the totality of, um, long positions that were liquidated or the sum of long positions that were liquidated. Uh, or the total sum of the insurance pool. So those are some of the problems. And I know I'm kind of like jumping around a, a few different uh, topics, but uh, one of the things that we wanted to solve was that uh, that we'd be able to support younger assets without fear of insolvency, um, that we would uh, be able to collateral fully collateralize every position uh, and then ensure that you could still ride uh, a wave um, and profit from it, but at no point would there be a bank run on the exchange where only the first that are able to close their position will be able to actually get their money out, and then you know the second, the 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 other seventy percent or other fifty percent is uh, just going to hit insolvency because the smart contracts have been drained. 
So that was the, that was the pain point that we wanted to solve. Uh, and then once we started solving that, um, and we uh, in, invented a new type of perpetual. So then a lot of other um, positive aspects, like around capital efficiency, single-sided staking, um, segregated markets, no need for an internal uh, mark price and external index price, no concept of cascading liquidations. These uh, benefits, which many other perpetual swaps don't have, just kind of started falling into place. And, and one of the ways that you can even see it, even if you aren't, um, you know, uh, looking, reading the, the source code or, or reading our white paper, is you can even just see the capital efficiency. Like, for example, I'm opening up a long position here. Um, and we would see something similar if I opened up a short position. And then we can see a preview of what my borrow fee will be. And then now if I if I take if I lower my take profit, then you see I drastically lower my borrow fee um, because you're actually putting you're actually allocating less um, collateral to your position um, because the system can now calculate, what's the max gains that your position would be entitled to um, based on the take profit price that you set. And obviously you can just ignore it and you could say, oh, I'll take an unlimited take profit. But you can drastically lower uh, the cost of capital by doing something like setting a profit. And this not only makes our perpetuals more secure than the competitors, but it also makes it cheaper uh, for trading. Got it. All right. It it wasn't uh, completely clear to me what exactly prevents cascading liquidations if the market goes in one way and everyone or uh, and, and let's say everyone is right because because you know the 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 opposite way would be for example um, the terror crash and. You know, people who thought it was only all got liquidated, but then there were a few winners emerged, like Galois and and whoever, just just like in the subprime mortgage crisis. Yep. So, but in this case, your attack vector is that of um, uh, everyone is right, and there's not enough money to pay out. So then, yeah, that's, that's one aspect. So the uh, so the the most popular me uh, method of creating a uh, a peer-to-pool uh, perpetual swap is called the uh, constant product virtual AMM. So uh, perpetual finance uh, uses that. MCDEX uses that. Uh, I think FutureSwap was the first that implemented it uh, probably about three years ago. Um, and uh, what the, the way that it works is that uh, the imbalance between long and short will change the internal mark price. And so when a liquidation happens on one end, so then that actually impacts the internal uh, listed price, which can then trigger a secondary uh, liquidation, which will then again move the price in that similar direction and then will cause another liquidation. So it's, it's almost like um, you create this domino effect that uh, occurs because of a sudden shock to the index price, which is the the actual price, you know, of a uh, of on on a, a blended basket of different exchanges. So yes, I, I agree with your um, you know your analysis there, which is that if you have a um, if the, the 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 price actually does move in a case, you know, like Luna going to zero, you know, there's it doesn't matter the difference between a, um, an an internal mark price or an external. Uh, index price, the thing went to zero. Um, but in the case where you have market manipulation and you might just cause, you know, a, a one candle that uh, moves in in one direction or the other. So while many platforms would uh, still be able to, they wouldn't become necessarily insolvent because of that. Um, we've seen historically that the virtual AMM or constant product uh, perpetual swaps um, do get this uh, domino effect of um, cascading liquidations where one liquidation impacts the internal price, uh, which then causes a new basket of um, of positions to to become liquidated. And it just continues um, exacerbated beyond 
that that single wick that might have been you know maliciously created externally and and didn't even occur on on all exchanges. Right. So so this brings up the the GMX uh, GLP pool, right? Where if you don't have segregated pools, then if something bad were to happen in one market, it has pathological effects to the entire network. And it basically renders GLP uh, depositors as the the uh, lenders of last resort. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's, that's an excellent way to put it. And there's a, there's a few other uh, problems with GLP. And I think that this is the reason why uh, GMX is, uh, is moving away from uh, uh, GLP um, in, in subsequent versions. But um, what you end up with is, first of all, it's very hard to hedge. Uh, like if you are a liquidity provider um, on Levonis, then you actually just pick exactly which markets that you are providing liquidity to. Um, the rewards that you're getting um, are segregated to that market. So it's just based on actual market demand. It's not, there's no dead weight um, assets that are then, you know, getting uh, that you're essentially exposed to as a liquidity provider um, that uh, are, you know, that, that creates a level of capital efficiency. So like you can see that, you know, the Bitcoin market um, is earning here and then these fluctuate, but it's earning a little bit above 70% APR. Um, the out of market is, is earning above uh, 50% APR. Um, and so these are, you know, there's no need to blend this. Um, the, the rewards and the risks uh, can be completely segregated. If one, you know, if, if, uh, if Osmo or if ETH or if Say or, you know, any of these had some type of uh, existential crisis and then the price moved similar to what we saw with Luna. So the rest of the system would just keep on ticking and would be completely unaffected. So having this, this uh, you know, these high, high garden walls to be able to ensure that um, each liquidity provider could take on the risk reward profile um, that was applicable or relevant to them um, was far more favorable than having a blended basket of uh, you know half stable coins and and half a bunch of assets. And it also allows for us to be um, far more adventurous because you know we, if there's like a new Pepe or Doge or Shiba or or just even you know even if it's not a meme coin, even if it's just a, you know a new like passage is launching soon. So. You know, it's uh, what's the likelihood that, you know, you're going to see on DYDX or GMX or, you know, any of these uh, larger platforms that inherently have contagion risk between one market and another be able to support something like Passage. It's very unlikely um, because every asset that they add um, has an impact on their existing LPs and on the risk reward profile of the entire ecosystem by seg by segregating each of the markets, um, the you know, we, we can be far more uh, ad adventurous uh, in which assets that we support. And ultimately, um, the vision here is to make it permissionless. So just like with Uniswap, somebody will be able to come in and just open up their own, their new market. Nobody's succeeded at building a permissionless uh, perpetual swap platform. And while I don't think that we're there in terms of like PIDs um, from, uh, you know, automating uh, risk risk aspects um, because there are a lot of levers that need to be adjusted um, in in successfully launching a market. Like, you know, what's the sensitivity around delta neutrality? What's the sensitivity around funding rates? What's the sensitivity around? Uh, and you can see some of these when we go into like the pool structure. Like, you know, these, um, you know, the like here, like uh, pool utilization, target utilization. Um, you know, the ratio between the LP tokens and the underlying collateral, like these are all various elements that uh, need some forethought. But the hope is to be able to automate this so that when you go to deposit a new market, the the system can really scan how things are trading on the unlike the osmosis decks, how things are trading based on feeds from, um, you know, CoinMarketCap or, or from CoinGecko and, and other places that can um, that can bring in a lot of uh, data from a wide variety of trading venues and then uh, automate uh, a lot of these uh, decisions which uh, currently are you know, essentially manual. Hey, Cosmonaut. Want to survive and thrive through this bear market? 
The best way to do it is to stake your coins risk-free. If you hold Atom, Osmo, Canto, or Celestia's TIA, you could compound your tokens risk-free by staking with Interchain FM. Your delegation supports the Cosmos radio station, so we can keep bringing you the alpha year after year. Now, back to the show. Can you break down what those manual decisions look like for pricing stuff? Like, uh, sure. So there's um so there's there's a few different things, and I might miss some, um, but we have all of this in the in uh in the docs. Um, what you have is um is it, first there's the 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 minimum uh, trade fee, um, so that uh, prevents an attack vector of you know, quickly opening and closing positions or, um, you know, there's a trying to just like front run the Oracle, uh, you know, there needs to be some type of cost of, of opening and closing positions, even though relatively speaking, that's a, a, a very minute portion of, uh, you know, of the fee structure. Uh, there's also the uh, funding rate. So how sensitive the funding rate is, um, you know, the in, in this case, you can see the the funding rate is negative uh, for shorts, which means shorts are getting paid, and um, it is uh, you know law. It's a uh, um, it's positive for longs, uh, which means that uh, longs are paying to shorts. Um, and if you right, and, and just because right now atom price is relatively low compared to historical equilibrium, so it's more expensive because there's more demand, right? Yeah, exactly. So let's let's pull this up uh, just to look, you know, specifically here. Um, so we can see that uh, longs are paying forty-two percent APR. Shorts are receiving sixty-six percent. So there actually is a nice basis trade here. Um, if you're uh, a little adventurous, and we we wrote, um, we, you know, we co-authored with a Stride actually a, um, a a a document that outlines a trading strategy, which is called cash and carry. Uh, which is very popular in TradeFi, where you might want to uh, open up a short position on Levana. Uh, let's say you open up a short position, and we can actually see what the the size would be. So you see the difference here is that long is at seven twenty, and short is at four sixty six thousand. Um, so there's room here. I'd say for between you know about a hundred grand. Um, so let's say that you put in ten thousand dollars worth of atom as a short and you did 10x leverage on that so that would be give you the um the you know the notional leverage exposure of you know negative a hundred thousand dollars worth of of atom and then you were to buy a liquid stake derivative of a hundred thousand dollars of of atom so now on lavana you're booking negative a hundred and on stride you're booking positive a hundred so you're essentially market neutral to the price movement of atom but at, but at the same time, you know, you're getting paid 20% by Stride. You're getting paid, you know, roughly 60% by Levana. Um, it's a pretty lucrative uh, strategy that doesn't uh, expose you to the the, the direct uh, volatility of the underlying. So these are some of the interesting kind of, uh, you know, more complicated trading strategies uh, that can be produced here. Um, and part of what needs, you know, to go back to answer your question, uh, part of what needs to be configured when the markets are launched um, is how you know how sensitive is the funding rate. Um, you know how what exactly are the the um, the both the, the delta neutrality fees, which are kind of like one time um, funding rate for opening and closing positions, uh, and then the ongoing hourly uh, funding rates. Um, what is the the borrow fee and what's the borrow fee structure? You know what's the minimum borrow fee, and then how quickly does that leg up um, based on utilization? So you can see right now the the current pool with uh, there is what do we have in terms of the um, the uh, total fees collected, long short. Sorry, we got too many stats. Here we go. There's about a million dollars um, of atom deposited into the system here, and then. Of that, about 62% is currently being utilized by open positions. And um, and so at what point do, does this number, the 15% uh, borrow fee APR, which is compensating the liquidity providers, you know, resulting in this, uh, you know, 52% uh, APR. Um, so how 
quickly does that go up? And, and uh, when it does grow, um, what does that curve look like? So these are the types of things that I think it's probably going to take a year or two of futzing around with, uh, you know, the back end uh, to really find like, you know, something that's consistent and uh, and predictable uh, to create a positive user experience between the all of the the relevant parties, between the, the directional traders, the, the delta neutral traders and the, the liquidity providers. We're looking at the Atom USD market now and the LP APR says 37% and XLP is 52.6%. What's the difference? What's going into each of those APRs? Sure. That's a, uh, well, first of all, they're both paid out in Atom and they're both uh, sustainable real yield, meaning that the, the system is a closed loop system. The fees that are paid by traders are going to the are going to the liquidity providers, and there is um, two ways to be a liquidity provider. You can deposit into LP or XLP. Uh, XLP has a forty five day unbonding period, and during that unbonding period, you're still getting rewards, but you're just getting the rate which is booked um, for LPs. Um, and LPs are the uh, are able to withdraw any unutilized capital um, immediately. And so the premium uh, that is, that uh, of that liquid value is reflected in the ratio between LP and XLP. And then that is what derives the APRs. Um, so less people are interested in, uh, in taking on that risk of a 45-day unlock period. And so because there's a, a greater ratio of LP to XLP tokens, so the then there's uh, an inverse, a direct inverse in terms of the APR that is uh, that that's captured by them. And you can actually also see that again on the um, uh, on the uh, the dashboard um, by looking at the token supply. You can see that there has been minted sixty thousand LP tokens and seventy four thousand. XLP tokens, um, and then that is what's responsible for the the um, you know divergence in uh, in uh, the uh, APRs uh, for you know each token. And uh, okay, I I understand, uh, but of none of this is risk free. If you think that you want to deposit Adam and earn fifty upward north of 50% APR, right? Because what happens? It's it's incredibly risky. All of this is, you know, is, is very risky. And it's important um, not to hide the risk, uh, but rather to effectively communicate it so that, you know, uh, adults in uh, jurisdictions that um, allow for these types of actions uh, are, are able to make informed decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Have, have you done the math? So, you know, if if let's say a bunch of people are right and they they make money from um, from the Adam Perps market by let's say longing uh, longing from here, and then uh, the people who are who are the depositors that who are earning, let's say like XLP at fifty two percent. Adam shoots up to, I don't know, twelve dollars in the next seven days, and they don't unlock for another forty-five days. What happens? Like how? how what happens to their net net? What do they have? So that depends really on the delta neutrality ratio. So the delta neutrality ratio um, is the ratio between uh, net open interest and the liquidity pool size. So just to read this here. So when the ratio is zero. Winning and losing traders pay each other, and it's balanced. So, in that case, um, you know, Adam jumping to twelve bucks and a bunch of longs getting super rich is not going to have is not going to make a lick of difference to the you know to the uh, to, to to the profits at the end of the day from LPs. Um, now, if it is um, if the if it's not balanced. Uh, then LPs are directionally exposed as 
essentially counter traders. And so from that, when traders um, make profit, so then that would come at the expense of LPs. And so one of the ways to be able to tell historically uh, if if that's happened is really to look at um, the you know the the total realized trading PL. So you can see here so since this has been launched, um, you know traders you know tra it's a traders it's I mean it's it's you know it's no different than like Vegas is that you know the people trading is a zero-sum game and so anytime that you hear about someone that made a bunch of money trading that meant that means that somebody lost money trading or a lot of people lost a little bit of money trading. So usually what you have is um, a lot of chop ups and then, you know, an occasional windfall. Um, so what we've seen um, in aggregate since we launched the out of market, that traders are now down about 66, a little over $66,000. Um, and so what you see that's actually reflected here that the, um, the, the ratio, the redemption rate of LP or XLP tokens has actually increased about almost 5%. Um, and so this is kind of the inverse of what uh, you know, we were talking about before. It, and it very easily could happen in the opposite direction, is that if, uh, if the delta neutrality was um, you know, very highly skewed, uh, then, uh, and then traders were to make a significant uh, profits, so then we would see this ratio drop below one, um, and you know it's a uh, it's the the faster that it happens, the more dangerous it is. Um, but uh, the system is designed essentially to be balance to to be self balancing. You know that's why there's the hourly funding rates. That's why there's the delta neutrality fee. That's why um, there is uh, the the uh, adjusted. Um, or dynamic uh, borrow fee, so that the, uh, the the likelihood of profiting from the let's call it streams of income as an LP adequately uh, compensate the LP for the risk that they are taking um, for the negative the, the the potential for the negative outcomes you know like we just described. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, going back to what you alluded to at the beginning of the show, you said that Levana started off on a chain that has since collapsed, Terra, right? Is, is it true that uh, Levana was originally using UST as collateral to yes. for 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 okay, yeah. and, and that's why you you went against designing it with uh, stablecoin collateral? Yeah, we didn't want to use USDC. Um, why is that? Um, because it's not, you know, it's a, it's a banker coin. Um, you know, it's, it's very successful and we all use it. You know, a lot of people run their business off of it. Um, but if you kind of want to ask yourself is like, could we actually build something that, um, can be, you know that that has the the possibility of being owned by a community that has the mm -hmm. possibility of running autonomously or independently um to build something that is um you know is it has a a, a chokehold um you know within the existing financial system um i think is not ambitious enough and so I think it was rather ambitious for the you know the Levana um, architects uh, to you know to try and create something that didn't need stablecoins, uh, and I think that it uh, you know it was it, I mean I'm 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 glad it worked or at least it's worked so far you know we've only been, hasn't been two months yet but uh, I'm I'm pretty bullish. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, going. Switching topics now to talk about the Levana token, if there is going to be one. The front end says that, you know, if you're you're basically going to be farming the token based on usage, I think that was implied. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you talk about that? Sure. So 
you know, it's a, it is, um, it's very hard uh, to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to successfully distribute um, a broad ownership of tokens to vested participants. You know, the, the current airdrop methodology um, creates this kind of like rotator culture um, where you, you know, you almost have like airdrop as a service. Um, I think we saw this with Say, you know, I've definitely felt this with, uh, with other networks where you, um, you know, where you, you can't really get the, your token in the hands of people that actually care about your product. Um, and so while Levana will have uh, an airdrop, you know, we've got 10 million tokens, which are uh, earmarked for um, the, we, we had, uh, we built eight, uh, um, you know, play to earn uh, NFT games on Terra. Um, so all the, uh, you know, owners of those NFTs, you know, are going to be eligible for an airdrop. You know, we've had a bunch of, of missions on say, you know, those people will be, uh, you know, once we verify who's uh, to the best of our ability, who's human or who's, who's a bot, um, but there will be tokens set aside for them as well. But ultimately, um, you know, we want the, 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 the owners of the governance token in order for it to be a governance token, there needs to be people that actually care about the product that, that, that own it. And so the best way to do that is to distribute it to the actual people that use the product. Uh, and it is, uh, you know, like a lot of projects have kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, things like that. Um, but I think it is, um, being more direct, um, is, is probably a better approach. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't believe it has been decided exactly what's the time period of distribution of farming rewards um, or the, uh, and the, the genesis pool of farming rewards. But um, as, those, as we get closer to a token launch, which hopefully will be before the end of this year, uh, there, there will be you know, publications and you know, uh, infographs and, and various things that will uh, really outline exactly how that, that's going to work. Has it been decided about how the to the supply breakdown is going to look outside of the ten millions that's going to be airdropped? Uh, sure. So the uh, um, you know the the investors own I think about around thirty thirty five percent of the tokens. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to double check that. Uh, and then um, and then uh, the team has twenty percent. Um, then there is. Uh, you know, I think the foundation might have, I'll have to double check, but it's, I think it's like 6%. And then the, um, you know, then there's, uh, I believe it's, it's, uh, it's either 20 or 30%. You know, I've, I've lost track of the numbers here, um, for the, the community pool, which will include, um, airdrops and the, um, uh, and farming rewards. The farming rewards are intended to last, you know, for years. So uh, the the um, you know the year one, I believe it is, uh, it's about seven or eight percent of the tokens are scheduled to be distributed um, as uh, farming rewards, you know, one way or another um, over the first twelve months. But I think all of this is, you know, subject to change until it's it's actually. Uh, published, you know, I know that there's there's drafts, and the drafts have been through a lot of different versions. And I'd actually, I'd be happy to send you a copy of it if you if you want to take a look and, and share your feedback. It's kind of a long, boring document, but you're, you're, you you know you might enjoy it. Yeah, certainly. And because it's running on other layer ones, there's not going to be staking as a utility. It's it's a pure governance token. Well, there will be staking into governance. You know, it's a similar method. You always want to. And uh, you know you want to prevent the the double voting problem, right? Where could, you know, and where so it's a stake weighted might... voting. Yeah, exactly. Stake weighted voting. Yeah. However, it's not going to be used to stake as security, like as a you know, as collateral to secure any. And at least not in this not in this stage. You know, you can always spin up. Um, that's the beauty of Cosmos is that. If you get big enough to justify running your own rails, 
so then you can migrate to become your own app chain. Um, personally, I'm not very bullish on the app chain thesis from an entrepreneurial perspective. Uh, I believe that the um, the cost and overhead of running your own app chain and securing your own app chain, whether it is you know through um, you know just directly through your own token or or even uh, sub you know even just subsidizing like mesh security or or other forms uh, that are you know the the um, you know Cosmos de jour uh, you know se- chain securing uh, methods, mm-hmm. but um, uh, I think that most projects um, end up using way too many resources um, to you know an infrastructure level, which doesn't necessarily help. Uh, acquire product market fit, and that that's you know something that has uh, negatively impacted uh, the Cosmos space, you know, over the past couple of years. Yeah, and fair enough. That's a fair assessment. Uh, just to just to add to your mesh security piece, the um, the Eureka moment was in realizing and uh, this is Sunny's realization that any 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 coin or token with any amount of value behind it can be used as collateral slashable collateral for for uh for a state for to lend itself to the security of of any proof of stake chain so yep yeah once we have the ability to import basically any chains token to use as collateral, then there you go. Then that circumvents the the bootstrapping problem that most app chains have. That it is true, but it doesn't. Um, it doesn't. You know, one of the other uh, positive flywheel elements of the uh, you know delegated proof of stake um, is that you that uh, as rewards increase, then velocity. Uh, as real yield increases, assuming that the real yield is distributed to validators um, or delegators to validators, so then you end up with a, a, a decrease in, in velocity. Um, you know, and if you just like the basic principles of you know of uh, of exchange rates between currencies, like you know with an M one M one currencies, that when velocity uh, decreases, so then exchange rate increases, so like meaning. You know, like it pumps bags, so to speak. Um, you you do lose the the po- that positive flywheel. That uh, you know, essentially, the fact that um, if I'm on, you know, the more money, the more fees that Kajira is is taking in, the more people that want to uh, own a larger portion of the Kajira network and then stake to Kajira validators and then earn, you know, whatever fees that the you know that Orca or um, you know the, these other uh, apps that are that are on the Kajira chain um, are are collecting fees from. So it's this you know it's this positive uh, you know impact that the the chain actually um, that the cost of attacking the chain uh, goes up directly related to how successful the chain is, which then in turn allows for the chain to secure a larger TVL, which then allows it to collect larger fees. And so you have this just continuously positive feedback loop. So I think that while you're right that the mesh security does um, you know drastically reduce the uh, initial costs of bootstrapping a network, it does lose a little bit of that positive flywheel of direct correlation between um, s- security and success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I-, I mean, you hit on another utility of a coin, right? The coin is the the conduit by which a community could collect itself over and, and create some kind of uh, cultural meaning behind it, just like just like ether, Bitcoin. Yep. So, right. In as far as a any token could be used for security, you know, that's fine. You could use it as such, but but. Beyond that, you still need to have the cultural element that gives meaning behind a token project. 
Yeah, I, I think yeah, it definitely is. Um, you know, it creates fanboys, um, and it, uh, it it becomes a rallying point. Um, it you know when you everybody knows the price that they first got into Bitcoin, uh, and uh, you know, and everybody knows when you're in the in the money or not. Um, and so I think that the the social impact of the correlation between the success of a project and the success of its uh, token uh, is not something that uh, should be read, uh, you know, readily dismissed. Yeah, fair enough. So if you were to predict what's going to happen in the future once we have mesh security, would you imagine that the sequencing of uh, like mainnet deployment would look something like, oh, you know, we bootstrap with mesh security with other chains tokens first? And then as we gain traction, we slowly uh, wean out the original tokens and then we replace it with our own native token that the community could. I think so. That's, you know, I think I like I uh, I actually just had a call today with uh, somebody on uh, Eigenlayer um, and, you know, kind of discussing this exact point is that uh, if you're bootstrapping, um, you know, kind of if. You know, would eigen uh, eigenlayers? If I'm, if I'm, I'm, this is the first time, and I've never actually read their white paper, so I'm, I'm saying this secondhand. So I apologize if if this is full of inaccuracy, but um, it will allow you to essentially spin up something very similar to an app chain, um, but as a layer two on, a, on Ethereum, as a I believe as a fork of Optimism, and uh, you will be an, a, initially securing it through. Um, uh, liquid stake derivatives uh through lido of 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 the eth token of eth so mm. uh, so that the you know so my pushback there was you know you, that you lose a lot of uh the, the the you know the these the real world benefits and correlation between the success of a project and, and success of a token um when the 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 security is completely disconnected from the actual asset itself or governance asset itself. Yeah, exactly. And so, but I believe that there's, you know, the, and the response that I, the pushback that I got from this particular VC that was, you know, walking me through it um, was that there's this, you know, the ability to have a transitionary period, which was exactly how you described it. That, you know, you might bootstrap it with ETH or with Atom or with, with some other token, and then you're able to um, do, you know, dual rewards uh, and then, you know, even, uh, you know, potentially just completely transition over to um, an independent or self-contained uh, reward structure, you know, based on uh, your own, um, you know, native token of that chain. Well, okay. I, I actually, it's interesting synchronicity because I was having a similar call about just that, you know, we're looking for something that gives you Cosmos SDK-like staking and governance capabilities but using Ethereum as the settlement layer just because the network effects are there. However, the problem we run into is the fact that if it's an optimism fork, you have one centralized sequencer and you basically trade off the decentralization effects and you don't get the benefits of having a native token on the SDK layer two rollup um, for staking and it just gets relegated to a like a signaling token instead of actually using it for security uh, absolutely the the single i think the uh the single sequencing is the biggest choke point um because it completely removes all censorship resistance you know from uh from the application and you know that there's there's it's almost like you you've gone into the realm of theater um you know not to say that the outcome completely is the optimism team has done a lot of really great work, but um, in, unless you know blocks are being packaged by you know independent lottery winners one way or another, um, you you know it's I mean we're kind of, you're kind of just whatever it's you know it's just yeah whatever. yeah and it's so it's so early too because as you and I have discovered that there is demand for something like this right. And maybe it takes some kind of middle abstraction layer like Espresso to help with decentralizing the sequencer. 
Um, but then it's just, you know, adding layer on top of layer for, <laughs> for, for some, yeah. It feels like you're, it feels like a, yeah, it's, it feels like you're bit, ba- you're bandaging, um, a, a, bro- a broken, like a, a foundationally broken system. But you, you had mentioned about the, uh, the, you know, the wanting the network effect of Ethereum. And I was actually chatting, uh, with the Kepler, gu- Kepler guys earlier today about this, um, and uh, I think I did a very poor job expressing myself. I'm, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I lose a lot of nuance just in terms of what, you know, in, in, in text. Um, and uh, so if uh, just as a heads up, if I, if I piss you off uh, when we're chatting with each other, it's not that that, that might be a general, that, that's like a yeah. truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so what I was explaining is, is like the biggest friction to, um, to Cosmos is really Kepler. And it's it's not that Kepler's a bad product. Kepler's a great product. I think Kepler's better than MetaMask, you know, from many respects. But the fact that there's 30 million people that have MetaMask creates a, a really sticky uh, ecosystem, and that's why we see things like Base take off and Optimism take off and Avalanche and all of these other things take off. It's why we see Near, you know, abandon their own uh, net, uh, their own, uh, um, you know, the Aurora, uh, you know, zone and like. Uh, no, Aurora was the EVM compatible. One. I forget what the other one was called. It's just, you know, it's why we see kind of like we're in a consolidation phase of crypto uh, where people want less tooling. They want less touch points and they don't, they want to learn things um, less frequently. It's almost like, you know, when was the last time you downloaded a new app on your phone? We, we've kind of gotten to like the app fatigue mode where the every time that you've downloaded an app, the cost emotionally of downloading a new app is higher. So every wallet that you've downloaded, every bridge that you've gone through, you know, it, it requires more friction. And and I went through this usability study um, with like a sample size of about 30 people. And I was very uh, unsuccessful at getting people to install. I wasn't even trying Kepler, which they've heard of. I was trying Compass, which is the, you know, the native wallet for say, you know, produced by the, the Leap team. And um, it's, really challenging to get somebody that is doing anything at scale um, to be willing to download a new wallet and then bridge into a new ecosystem just because there's enough opportunities really within you know within their you know their their, their I don't know how to say it there's a f- phrase in, in Hebrew it's called Dalit Amut but uh you know within their little box so you know, we've all got our little box that's kind of set up right now and people don't want to get out of that box. So I would push back to your previous statement and say that the moat isn't really around Ethereum. The moat is really around MetaMask. Yeah. I, I, yes. Right. Sure. Um, Around the EVM, around MetaMask and that kind of composability where all roads basically lead to there through this one, um, this one central train station, let's say. Um, you know, you know, but but given I, I completely agree with what you said, and it made me think about what Elon is doing with X. It could just be that he turns it on one day, and boom, X can take the entire market share of MetaMask and Kepler and everything if he built a wallet for crypto and just just started building out crypto infrastructure. Um, I've seen those mock-ups. It's like the same thing. Yeah, I, I've de- I, yeah, I've seen those mock-ups. I've seen I've read the terms of service. Uh, I think a I think a, a, a self-custody uh, seedless crypto wallet is coming to mainstream. And and forget about Elon, Apple. And like it once Apple just every iPhone just comes sure. with a you know with an Ethereum wallet. It's like I mean it's game over for any other wallet. Mm-hmm user really yeah. so i think like the the you know it's it is it's a there is i'm i have like an existential you know crisis here as thinking like is is lavana just kidding itself by not supporting metamask and what does that look like what is where does snaps fit into this where does you know um is it's not really do we don't really have to abandon cosmos we just need to be friends with the rest of the ecosystem of like the world. Yes, completely agreed. Um, right, right. Uh, that that's certainly a 
more infrastructure question, <laughs> more composable infrastructure question. Um, and if it's any crypto project, it's it's going that it should be taking the lead for interoperability. It's it's us, right? So, okay. Well, yeah, we're coming up on time. Let's let's end this. Uh, I'm sure you have another call that you have to. I go do. To. I'm just. Uh, I'm secretly texting them out of the corner of my eye here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one-hour-long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live-streamed episode.